can you give me one second, actually? Um, I forgot my flapjack. Hello, I'm Hester Lonigan, and this is my podcast, Porridge for Brains. You've returned with flapjack in tow this time. I have, yes. Thanks I was so in a, such a rush. I know. I was I was getting the beers from the fridge, and I just forgot the flapjack. How could you miss? I mean, yeah, okay, fine. The flapjack is the oat, which is the most important thing for me. But I appreciate that the oat is not the most important thing for you, and it's the beer. So, if anything, you do have your priorities straight. The beer also does have oat in. I specifically got a beer that has oats in it. So. Oh, amazing! <laughs> well, yeah. So, what what have you brought with you? Because we just we both agreed, didn't we, when we were um, talking about recording this, that um, because we both have. Um, food drink based passions we agreed that we would bring something from um our passions and i have literally at this moment remembered that i said i would bring something beery and i have not all i've brought is something oaty but if you can get oats in beer then maybe that kind of counts so i've already let you down i'm sorry so i wanted to bring uh, an oatmeal stout which is probably the most traditional of oat based beers but with the weather we've had not many places are selling oatmeal stouts. No. <laughs> it's quite a heavy, thick winter drink. So I have compromised and I have two beers with me today. It's, it's going to be that kind of night. <laughs> I have a Pilot Blonde, which is a session oatmeal pale ale Ooh. by Pilot Brewery, who are a very local brewery to me and really fantastic brewery. And then I also have a Pilot Mochaccino Stout, which is a coffee and cocoa stout well that sounds delicious really delicious and but will that one be quite heavy as well i guess like the coffee can i always find that like caffeine manages to cut through things so it's only five and a half percent um it's not actually what i've had before because they used to use lactose in their recipe but they've recently made all their beers vegan so i'm i'm very excited to actually be able to try it for the first time that's so exciting so pilot um brewing is it pilot brewing company Mm. um you're in edinburgh right yep and when you say they're local are they like your street or they're nearby in the city so i think they're about a mile away they're on um one particular street in leith which has three breweries on it called jane street very nice very nice i love how local that is um i know that one of the things that you are really kind of interested and passionate about is local beer like hyper local beer and that's what you want for closet brewing company which is stuff that we'll come on to later because first of all i need to tell you what i have brought with me and i am sorry that i forgot about the beer but i've also brought something with coffee in it um so i was planning i was thinking about bringing um the concoction that i am planning on taking to the golden spurtle in october when i compete to become the world porridge making champion but I then had a thought, what are the possibilities that other competitors might steal my idea? I think it's possible because it's going to be bloody good as well. Um, and I don't think we have to. So they've asked for us. I got an email this week. They've asked for us to submit our recipes um, by, I think, like the 5th of September, first week of September. So there's still about four weeks to go for people to devise and strategize. So I'm not giving anything away. Yeah, um, keep that a trade secret for now exactly exactly well i have 
made instead. Um, so I am potentially catering a small event in a couple of weeks, which is exciting. Um, but it's outside and there isn't access to a plug, so I can't take my little ceramic hob and cook porridge on it. So I'm um, playing about with bircher. And what I have made is quite, a, well, I say simple bircher in that it's just oats and then kind of liquid, really. But it's a um, an espresso bircher. So it's just jumbo oats, a double shot of coffee, um, some coconut palm sugar and oat milk and a bit of salt. Um, and I've got some coconut yogurt on top of it. Um, I've got some like toasted, toasted uh, walnuts, pecans and sesame seeds with a bit of coconut palm sugar through that and cacao nibs. And then, um, so Max went to Brussels a few weeks ago and he went to this um, nut butter atelier Ooh. called Buddy Buddy and brought me back, obviously, mm. a variety of nut butters because that's exactly my vibe. He brought back this hazelnut um, espresso and chocolate one which is just unreal like that it's not incredible even, yeah it's not even lasted like three weeks i i'm at the point where i'm just like mainlining it throwing stuff <laughs> it. it's genuinely incredible um and i'm actually allergic to hazelnuts but it doesn't stop oh, me no. <laughs> but not like serious anaphylaxis allergy i think i, I showed you the photo didn't i of what happened yeah you did yes <laughs> the great milk debacle yeah. of 2021 so hazelnut is not not quite as severe um so yeah, that's what I've brought. Um, so I'm actually going to, well, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to ask you a question and then I'm going to take a bite. And the audience may not um, hear my reactions, but you will see some facial expressions. <laughs> going to resume, um, Lucy just very conscientiously took a pause to let me know that um, her nano brewery is not what I think it's called. And I have spent probably the last two weeks while we've been liaising for this calling it closet brewing company thankfully i haven't shared anything anywhere else because it's actually closet brewing project so we've got that out of the way excellent but also also you've got flapjack we've talked about the beer we've talked about what i've brought but you've also brought flapjack because you have, have. the bargain so tell me about the flapjack have you made it yes so when we were chatting um about this call the other week i talked about how during lockdown, I went through a flapjack phase of making lots of flapjack and experimenting with lots of flavours. And then like many of the things, the phases that I went through during lockdown, I just stopped for no no reason. Um, but this kind of prompted me to kind of revisit some of those old re recipes. And so I have uh, with me today a maple and pecan flapjack. Oh, oh that looks good. Uh, hang on. Let me just, um, can you hold it up again, please? Because we're going to have to get a screenshot of that, aren't we? Yes. Amazing. That looks really good. It looks nice and chunky. Yep. So I made this last night and I've already had two of them today. So <laughs> So you can vouch for them then. I can good. absolutely vouch for them. Amazing. Well, cheers to that. Um, lovely to have you on cheers. the pod. So we've covered what we've brought. Let's elaborate. So clearly beer has featured heavily so far. So please introduce yourself. Um, we know you live in Edinburgh, but tell me more about who you are and what you're doing. So I'm Lucy and I've recently launched Closet Brewing Project, which is a self-styled Pico brewery in Edinburgh. I think we are the smallest brewery in Edinburgh at just 62 square feet. It is the natural evolution of 
a passion project. I've always loved beer. I'm a massive beer nerd. I love drinking it, making it, and learning about its history. But it's a, a passion project of that that I wanted to be able to share my beer with the good people of Edinburgh and, and the world. I'm just finishing my bite. Sorry. My my thing's really good, by the way, um, just to let you know. Um, and also, I definitely called it a nano brewery, didn't I, before? So Pico. So I think micro and nano are kind of the accepted terms. And then I've, that's why I call it kind of a self-styled Pico brewery, because I've kind of taken on this term, which in scientific terms is even smaller than nano. I think it's got legs. Mm. And you heard it here first, everybody. <laughs> Edinburgh and possibly the world's first Pico brewery. <laughs> there is definitely a, so at least one other person using Pico brewery in Norway, because I see the hashtag um, Pico Brewery a lot on Instagram. Okay, there we go. Right, well, we'll, we'll uh, look into that later. Um, okay, and so clearly we want to talk a lot more about beer and about closet brewing project and I want to learn loads more um but before we crack on and talk beer um selfishly I also have an ulterior motive for this whole podcast which is to nosy in on other people's rituals and routines um and specifically getting to know what mornings look like for them um so obviously as a porridge aficionado and fanatic and all of those other words um I really really like mornings because they're the time that I get to eat porridge but loads of other stuff around mornings um I love but how about you so what does a morning look like for you what do you do um do you like them and most importantly what do you eat drink in the morning so this is a very controversial opinion for this podcast I think but I don't really eat breakfast when I get up in the morning I really enjoy going for a walk so if I'm working in the office I go for a walk to the office and that's what wakes me up followed by usually a black coffee but just a walk and a coffee keeps me going until lunch and I find um, having that kind of natural energy that a walk gives you is what wakes me up in the morning. Very interesting so when um when do you really have time to fit porridge into your diet? I don't. <laughs> I'm holding on to the arms of my chair um no I mean I am all for people doing what's right for them and working out what works for them. So I fully respect the way that you spend your morning. So it's not a time that you like to kind of luxuriate in and do you, do you get up basically, you get up in time to roll out of bed and throw some clothes on or do you kind of take some time? Normally the former. Yeah, I spend as much time in bed as I possibly can <laughs> before I get up. Um, normally a once I'm awake, it's then time to get up i wouldn't call myself a morning person but i do really savor the mornings when i wake up naturally very early and i have that time to myself but most of the time unfortunately that's not the case and i get woken up by my alarm life gets in the way right i, I mean i get that as well like it is the most for me it's the most wonderful time of the day and agree like it's just a time to savor and to like slowly ease myself into the day but the reality is um, quite a lot of the time life gets in the way and I need to have more than like six hours sleep. So I don't get up with quite as much time as I'd like to. Um, and that's part of being an adult, right? And Unfortunately, it's... yes. <laughs> hey, ho. all right. Well, thank you for sharing that. That's another one for me to add to the list of people's morning routines that I know about. Um, so 
we've clearly we've got a lot to talk about um but we agreed that we would focus on the priority subject for this interview which is beer so um can you tell me about closet brewing project you shared a little bit um already but let's um let's start from the beginning so uh where did your interest in beer come from so uh, basically as long as i can remember i've liked beer from kind of my dad letting me have sips of his real ale when I was a kid to having half pints in the pub with a meal when I was 16. But it was it was when I moved to Bristol um, in 2014 that I kind of first got my experience of the complexities of beer. Um, I had a beer called Modus Operandi uh, by a brewery in Bristol called Wild Beer. And it just completely blew open my kind of narrow understanding of what beer was and from that moment I was I was hooked on I found this one interesting beer what other interesting beers could exist and my kind of love of beer spiraled from there then when I moved to Edinburgh four years ago um, I started brewing properly I thought I really like beer Um, perhaps I should learn how to make it I mean it's a natural progression right I love porridge so maybe I should I mean most people I think know how to make porridge but yes yes um very cool and um as an aside appreciate we're, we're trying not to take a day having this conversation but as an aside how do you make beer so the kind of steps to making beer can be broken down i think into four main stages so two of these happen on the a single day the day you make the beer so the first of this is called the mash or mashing essentially you steep grains in hot water not unlike a tea bag, to activate enzymes and extract sugars. You then boil the uh, the liquid that comes out of this, which is called wort, and you boil that to sterilize it. You might add some hops in as well uh, to get some bitterness and flavors. What comes out of that is your your fermentable product. And there's a kind of saying in brewing that brewers make wort and yeast makes beer, because at this point you leave that wort a nice sugary liquid with some yeast in it. Uh, the yeast eats up the sugar, produces flavour compounds and alcohol that really turn it from what is a sickly, sweet, undrinkable liquid into beer. Once it's been fermented, it's then conditioned or packaged so it can go into bottles with sugar to be naturally carbonated or into kegs or cans, whatever uh, final form that beer takes before it comes to you at your table, at your home, in your fridge. That's so interesting. And it's, there are so many. Um, so I make, I occasionally make kombucha um, because I got a kind of scoby starter and um, I've made a couple of batches and it's really delicious. And it strikes me that there are, there are a few, not just drinks, but there are a few like types of food and a few drinks that they're all, they're not following the same process, but they're all kind of around like allowing things to, ferment and and take on new properties and and um yeah it's just really interesting it's a very exciting thing kind of taking one product and leaving it under some controlled circumstances and ending up with something completely different thanks to kind of microorganisms yeah it's kind of alchemical right yeah Um, yeah yeah um very cool and so um that's how how generally one makes beer so you do all of that in a closet then at one time uh we fermented in the closet but we 
do the brewing stages, so the mashing and boiling stages in our kitchen, in our house. And then before the beer is fermented, it is transported into the box room, which is barely bigger than a closet. Um, and that's where the fermentation and the packaging and the conditioning happens. So that's that's really where the magic happens, turning the sugary, it, it enters the room, or enters the brewery as sugary sweet wort, and it leaves the brewery in cans, nicely labelled as beer ready to drink. Mm. And um, I had a question and it's gone out of my head. So bear with me while I take a pause. Oh, I feel like it was a good one as well. <laughs> oh yeah, here it is. Um, so when, when you're, and when you're making beer, um, how much, so it's quite as a Pico brewery, um, I know you talked about square footage, but kind of how much beer then do you produce in a, when when you take that time to do that whole process, how much beer do you come out with? So generally, it slightly depends, depending on the strength of the beer as to kind of efficiency. I won't bore you with the more mathematical details, but generally it's somewhere between 20 and 24 litres per batch. So really small scale stuff. And then if you did, I think you told me this. So do you can it or keg it? You, you put it into cans, right? So we put it into kegs to carbonate it and to let it condition. And then from those kegs, we put it into cans uh, to sell it. So it is, it's tiny batch. It's Pico batch. As it well. is really, yeah. really small. Okay. So if anyone manages to get their hands on a can, then they're very lucky. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, so um, I have another question. Um, so it feels like there's a lot of creativity in what you do, but you've also mentioned there's kind of some mathematics and some science to it. So would you say that you are both kind of creative and more analytical and practical? I would love to say that. It would be the greatest compliment I could give myself. It's definitely um, what I enjoy about it is the combination of that really mathematical making I know it sounds terribly boring, but spreadsheets to track gravities and ABV and volumes um, from batch to batch so I can determine how my processes are doing, but also the creativity of sitting down and saying in the next four months, we have fermenter capacity to brew this number of beers. What, what do I want to do? There's so many beers out there in the market that kind of try and do a combination of Things which I like brewing and I like drinking, which there is a lot of, and things which maybe someone's tried, maybe no one's tried, but kind of thinking up an idea and saying, well, what if we had a beer that tasted like this? Or what if we put this ingredient in the beer? Yeah, is that, yeah, it sounds like a really exciting world. And I mean, I completely relate. I bloody love a spreadsheet. Mostly I love spreadsheets because they help me remember what I have said or thought or seen or done um, because I struggle. I mean, you've already witnessed because I've made some awkward pauses already during this conversation, but um, I struggle with short-term recall quite a lot um, and I lose my train of thought a lot. I am so imaginative, like my brain goes in every which direction quite a lot and I'm always coming up with new ideas things to do getting really excited about things that i'm thinking of um but if i don't record them and put them somewhere um and create a plan or i 
So probably more more so than spreadsheet, I love a plan. Mm. I love a plan and a timeline and a brief because it allows me to actually um, kind of create some boundaries and put down somewhere that I can keep going back to and keep being ruled by. I think if I didn't um, kind of have plans and lists and schedules, I would get nothing done and I would just overwhelm myself in excitement and energy for absolutely zero kind of order. I'm completely with you there. Uh, I plan our brews three months in advance, kind of choosing the specific days that we, we brew on and then days where um, ingredients like dry hops are added and days that those beers should be moved to kegs. So when we have free space in the fermenter and days that um, kegs should be then moved into cans. So you say you plan those days ahead. Do you look forward to those days? And when you're kind of, when you're going through the process, so part of, for me, like cooking and, and um, especially the porridge stuff, but then also like yoga, I'm trained to be a yoga teacher. Um, like all of that stuff feels like, I mean, yoga actually is meditation, but all of that feels very meditative and kind of immersing myself in a process, immersing myself in a task that I've planned um, actually can feel so like, so it can really make me feel at peace. Do you ever get that feeling when you're going through the process? Absolutely. Um, it's something about brewing is there's lots of downtime in it. So you mash for an hour, you boil it for an hour. And during that time, there isn't a whole lot you can do with the beer, but you have to still be there. It's a, it's a nice kind of forced, I have to be here for an hour. I can't go and do something. I can't do some work but it allows you to just kind of relax and just enjoy making the beer, maybe make some notes on it. Just kick back and watch the magic happen. Exactly. Update your spreadsheet. <laughs> so it came about in, in a closet, um, and that is the entire reason for the name? As uh, you might have realised, that's not the entire reason for the name. It's a bit of a double entendre um, we started closet brewing project in a tiny flat in Leith when we first moved up to Edinburgh and we brewed and fermented or we fermented the beer in the closet but that's not the only reason I was also in the closet at the time um, so I thought it was a fun double meaning to the name oh I love a bit of double meaning um, plays on words anyone that plays around with words gets my vote um cool so um kind of circling around to right now so what's going on now i think we um we are actually getting this episode live just before something exciting happens for you right so tell me about what you're brewing at the moment and yeah what's on the horizon so i said earlier we'd we've just launched the brewery um we kind of we got our paperwork in order on the 15th of july and then immediately started brewing our first beers and those two first beers will be available on our web shop from the 21st of august so very shortly after this episode airs those two beers are our core beers so lost in the source which is a really hazy hoppy juicy new england ipa it's probably my favorite easy drinker i can just kind of crack open a bottle whenever and the second one is a beer called Mieterinnen, which is a German Hellers. Um, again, you said you loved play on words. The words Mieterinnen is a very, very niche pun. 
in that it is the German word for people who rent or are residents of a building. In other words, tenants, mm -hmm. which is a, a typical Scottish lager. <laughs> oh, Lucy, the layers to that are astounding. <laughs> Beautiful. You had me at niche pun. Oh, my voice, my voice sounded a bit funny then because I got very excited. I love that. I love that. Um, so that's even an opportunity to get creative, right? Is it really fun thinking of the different names and um, designing? Is it, does Lizzie, your wife, do the, uh, like the logos and stuff, the artwork? She does the names and often gives me inspiration for the logos. Um, I do some of the logos myself, although my graphics design skills are somewhat lacking. Um, but we've had resident logo designers in the past. So we have a beer called Coco Cannonball, which is a chocolate Fidela Porter. And the label for that is designed by Sam Westwood. Um, Goat and Mitarinen actually are designed by Alex Stevens, who is a tattoo artist in London. Oh, very cool. Um, that must be exciting as well, getting to work with other creative people on bringing your vision to life. It's great. And their, their takes on whatever prompt I give them are just so much more than I could, I could ever hope for from the label. Amazing. Well, I definitely want to get my hands on some. I'm trying to go sober until the 28th, I think, um, of this month. So um, I will maybe place an order or when I'm driving through Scotland on the way to the Golden Spurtle, maybe I'll come and pick up some cans. Um, I know you've spoken about maybe even coming to Carbridge for the weekend, haven't you? you if we don't come to Carbridge, you absolutely should come and uh, pick up some cans. I'll save some aside for you. Please do. Um, they sound so great. And yeah, I can't wait to see them. Um, fab. So what is your... Um, what is your vision? We've kind of got the, the near-term vision and it's all really exciting. Um, but what, like, what, what do you, what are your plans for Closet Brewing Project? So, the kind of the goal of Closet Brewing Project is to bring the beer that I love so much and I've kind of put so much effort into to as many people who want it as possible. And so, if we have such demand for that, that our small twenty to twenty-four liter Pico Brewery can't supply it. I would love to be able to get our own premises and get an industrial unit and actually scale that up to produce beer at a higher quantity. The other thing I'd love to do is do more collaborations with, I say, actual breweries. We are an actual brewery now, but um, kind of local breweries like Pilot and Campervan and Queer Brewing Project, who are a brewery that are very close to my heart. Cool. They all sound amazing. And I think we'll, um, I'll get you to send me links to all of these things and I'll put them in the show notes so that if anyone wants to check these out, um, obviously they'll ch be checking out Closet Brewing Project first, but if they want to check any of these out, they can as well. Um, fab. Um, and you're, as you said, like there are quite a lot of breweries around you, aren't there? So you're in quite a community already. I have no facts to back it up, but there, it feels like one of the densest, most densely populated areas of brewery that I know of. Um, especially in Leith, there's maybe seven in a very small radius in Leith. Um, then there's Fall City and Portobello. And 
Yeah, it's it's a great place to be if you enjoy beer, Edinburgh. Mm. Mm. Yeah, uh, plenty of opportunity for collaboration. So this is my podcast. We're here to talk about you to a certain extent, but we also have to just take a moment to talk about me. Um, so we've already said um, you've talked about um, like oatmeal stouts and there's was an oat IPA you're drinking now? An oat, uh, yes, session IPA. Oat session IPA. Right, so beer can often have oats in it. I've seen it a lot. Obviously, I have a radar for these things. So where the word oat appears, I kind of have a sixth sense. I have. I'm actually a big proponent of oats in beers. I use them in quite a lot of my beers. Do you? Well, that's music to my ears. Um, Can you tell me why and what I'm sure they do nothing but bring absolute beauty to the beers? But yeah, tell tell me what happens when you add oats. So all our beers are vegan. a lot of breweries add lactose to a beer to add a kind of creaminess to the beer. But I find that you can use oats to bring that creaminess and silkiness to the body of a beer. And that's really what they add, a kind of thickness. So in a New England IPA, like our Lost in the Sauce, they complement the juiciness of the hops to add a thickness, almost like a juice, like a an orange juice level of kind of mouthfeel. In something like uh, Cocoa Cannonball or Cocoa Porter, they add to that thickness like it's a thick chocolatey dessert. That viscosity. Yes, that's the perfect word. They really just enhance the body and the mouthfeel of a beer. Oh, good one for oats. They're just great, aren't they, really, oats? Absolutely. Um, and yeah, it's it's so interesting that you say that often um, you do often people use lactose for effectively the same thing that kind of oats oats give in a beer and kind of the same properties and I always um I think pretty much every time I interview anyone I'm going to end up telling them this but I always cook my porridge just with water um and when I was younger I so I didn't really like porridge when I was younger because my parents made it for me with milk um, I didn't know that was why I didn't like it, but I just didn't really have a great opinion of porridge. And then um, it must have been probably like 10 years ago now, they got into the groove with eating porridge for their breakfast. And I think I was home for a holiday and um, had some of what they were eating and they'd started making it with water and it tasted like what it was a completely different thing. And it was delicious, amazing. And um, although we've said that kind of, lactose and oats kind of do a similar thing in beer I as I say I always cook oats just with water because I find that when you add milk it eradicates all of that amazing creaminess that oats naturally have um I feel like it kind of masks the flavor of the oats themselves and they have so much flavor um so really happy to hear that you love using oats I do absolutely (laughs) and we've um we have uh, talked of a potential collaboration, haven't we? Um, so I'm definitely keen to um, put my stamp on how we can maybe use some oats in some of your beers. I think that would be really fun. We have. I'd really love to experiment with turning oats up to the max in beers. Yeah. 
I mean, you'll know far more than me about how and what that actually means. Um, but yeah, so could you put loads more out in than you even do now? Theoretically, there is a maximum, um, but I, I'm sure generally I usually use 10% oats in my malts. I'm sure that could be turned up to 20 or 25% if we wanted a really, really oaty beer. Sounds like a plan is being hatched right here before everybody's ears. Oh, exciting. So while we're on the subject, let's get down to business and talk flavours. Um, we're talking about upping the ante of the oats. Um, you, as you say, like you, you get to experiment so much and you get to put so much creativity into, into what you do with Closet Brewing Project. Um, so you must have tried some really weird and wonderful combos. Um, can you tell me about um, what, what you've done, what's gone really well, some of the not quite so great combos? So a beer that we made, which really blew me away, spoiler, it contained oats, um, is one called More Berries Than Scents, which is really what it says on the tin. I made a, a kind of golden sour base beer. So kind of 10% oats, 10% wheat, the rest of it just standard pale ale malt. And then I put in this beer more berries than I thought conceivably one should put in in a beer. So in a 20 litre beer, we added eight kilos of mixed strawberries, raspberries, blackberries and red currants. And then on top of that, we put in 20 fresh Madagascan vanilla pods. That sounds, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Flavorful. Yes, it was decadent. Um, decadent, I think yeah. A good friend of mine described it as Ribena on crack. <laughs> That sounds amazing. I know a fair few people who would be very into that. But it was uh, it was a big experiment. And it's one of the things I love about the Closet Brewing Project is I can do experiments like this. And it it just turned out so well. It's one of one of my favourite beers we've done. Sounds amazing. Yeah. I'm just thinking now, I wonder what I wonder what we could do. Um I, with porridge, I really love um, pears. They're a very nice. A pear in chocolate porridge is a very good porridge. Um, what else do I really like? Rhubarb on porridge is beautiful. Um, blackberries and um, bay leaves. Blackberries and bay leaves. Mm. That's a really good combo. Um, I wonder whether something like that could work. Um, I'd be very interested in talking more about this. I think pear might be perhaps too, or not too subtle, but it's a very subtle flavour. Mm -hmm. So bringing that out in a beer might be quite difficult. Be but tricky. rhubarb is a very tart flavour, and so is quite a good one to bring out in beer. Mm -hmm. Do you, is it usually, is it often quite a sour, used in sours? Is that... Yes, so I think fruit often does work better in sours because when you make beer, the yeast ferment out all the sugar and fruit is naturally quite sugary. So fruits which are high in sugar will taste very different in beers because there's very little sugar left in the beer. Whereas fruits which are naturally tartar and their flavours are stronger like rhubarb and raspberries work a lot better in beers because even once all the sugar's been eaten up they still retain their flavour 
Got it. Got it. Okay, I'm going to think on. And I think what we probably need to do is um, follow this up, keep talking, and um, do a follow-up interview and share all of the um, amazing results that we've seen when we decide what we're going to collaborate on. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm definitely up for that if you are. Um, Fab. Okay. Um, And so... um, do you, so you talked about using like a lot of fruits and a lot of other things. Do you get all of your ingredients locally or are there some things that you have to source kind of from far and wide? So we try and source all our malts where possible from UK maltsters. So we generally use a maltster called Crisp um, for malts. But there are some things that, especially in German styles like Doppelbox, where it does make a difference getting the malts from Germany. And the other thing is hops. So hop flavors vary a lot by region. USA hops, European hops, UK hops, and New Zealand hops all bring very different things to the table. So again, where we can use UK hops, we like to. But when it comes to IPAs, generally we do import hops from the US. Very interesting. So kind of in the same way that, I mean, it's the same same for a lot of things, isn't it? But like kind of in the way that you'd think of wines, there are different regions and different climates and different terrains that lend themselves and produce different um, like versions um, on on a wine, on a grape or on a hop or a malt. Um, Where in the UK is really good for hops? So actually where I grew up, um, Worcester. Is kind of one of the prime hop growing regions in the UK. And it's a hop Kent, spot. It is a hop spot. <laughs> I'm not the first person that's ever said that on my. I've never heard that before. That... Definitely not. Excellent. <laughs> Quick off the bat. <laughs> oh, amazing! I'm sorry. I just need. I just need a moment. I'm very proud of myself for that one. Um, I, I, although I would say that my puns are not quite as um, niche as yours are. That was quite an obvious one. I think I spent a lot of time thinking up beer puns. <laughs> yeah, okay. So that was a good one for off the bat, um, but I can do better. I'll, I'll keep workshopping in the background and let you know. <coughs> so I'm also interested in kind of like the origins and the community history of beer. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Um, you know, I don't know loads about beer, um, but I don't, I can't think of like historical period where beer would be out of place right so can you tell me anything about um like beer's place in history so there are arguments to say that brewing is essentially as old as civilization itself i know this is a huge claim to make oh i love that lucy keep going there are arguments that people because people used to move around a lot and there are arguments that the reason people first started to settle in one place was because brewing beer takes a period of time and it's much more difficult to brew and carry with you a fermenting vessel than it is to leave a fermenting vessel in one place for the weeks that it takes that to ferment out so so, we would would have traveled um continued traveling but we had to stay in situ in order for the beer to complete I'm no historian, but that's definitely my take on it. <laughs> I think that's amazing. It's so 
I don't know, it's so exciting and I don't know, just so, I don't even know the words, um, but just to think about how something that we still drink and really enjoy now um, can have its roots in kind of what, what it means to be human. Um, and yeah, obviously understand that we haven't fact checked that, but it's, um, it's similar. So I also have like a nerdy passion for folklore um, and storytelling. In 17th century French fairy tale and I what like one of the things that I think is most like poignant and most beautiful is that actually um folklore fairy tale and stories are the way that we've made sense of the things that we don't understand since the beginning of time all of these stories that we share are how we understand what it means to be human and that has never changed yes the stories change in our technology and our like our languages and everything changes, but actually the fact that we create narratives to um, establish our place around each other and in this world is just like, I don't know, it's just amazing. And to think that maybe beer sits alongside is very cool. Yeah, those I think those connections that we have with people who lived thousands of years ago, that it's very difficult to put yourself in their place, but those things like beer and fairy tales that kind of are a constant throughout time are a, a great connection to the past we found yeast residues in beer fermenting vessels kind of from as early as 1500 bc in egypt so the the idea that there were people essentially fermenting in very similar things to what home brewers do in their closets nowadays oh that's breathtaking that's breathtaking Cool. I think it's going to be my final question, Lucy. I hope. Um, I set you some homework ahead of time, didn't I? Um, I'm not sure how much work it actually required um, because you were telling me that, you know, you're really interested in the different origins of um, different beers. But um, I'm going to ask you to exercise some self-restraint <laughs> and tell me, um, can you tell me about one particularly fun or interesting beer origin? So... This is one that I, I always crack out because I think it's just my favourite story about beer is about a type of yeast called kvike. So kvike was a yeast stay, strain that was passed down from generation to generation of farmhouse brewers in mostly Western Norway. So around this time in history, um, probably a thousand years ago or so, beer was the way that you provided safe water to drink. It's also how you celebrated things. Most small towns, most places either brewed their own beer or had farms which brewed beer. And Kvik was essentially an understanding of, of yeast. They had a wooden ring or a log or some manner of capturing this yeast that would be thrown into the beer when, before it started fermenting to kind of add that yeast to the beer. And once the beer was done, they would take this ring and they would capture on it the foam from that beer and hang it out to dry to save that yeast for further use. And over generations and generations and centuries of them reusing this yeast, them borrowing nearby brewers' rings of yeast when theirs died, a very distinct 
strain of yeast, which is still um, Saccharomyces cerevisiae, which is the, the general strain of yeast, but it's still a distinct subclassification, was created, um, which has incredibly high temperature tolerance. And so maybe 50 years ago, with the industrialization of the beer industry, these thousand-year-old heritage yeasts almost completely died out. But there was a, a big movement in Norway to catalogue them and to make sure that these yeasts were banked. And the heritage and the history behind them was saved. And now you can, as a brewer, as a home brewer, you can buy this these yeast strains that stem from single farmhouses in Western Norway. And kind of say, this was, I'm brewing a beer in 2022 with a yeast strain that has been isolated from this family's farmhouse in Voss um, in Norway, for example. I love that. I love that. And yeah, I mean, talk about storytelling, right? Talk about connection and heritage. That's so amazing. Yeah. And it's, it's, again, that combination of the history and the heritage, but also the science of how these yeasts changed genetically from their kind of common strain in Western Europe around 1000 AD, when they first started being propagated by brewers in Norway. They are incredible yeasts. As I said, they're very high temperature tolerance. And normally the higher the temperature, the more what we call esters or phenols. So like fruity, spicy flavors you get from a yeast. But some of these can be fermented as high as 30 or 40 degrees completely cleanly without any kind of additional flavors. You can create lagers, which normally ferment at the much, uh, much lower end. So kind of 10 to 12 degrees, but you can create lagers or pseudo lagers because they're not actually using lager yeast but lager type beers uh using these yeasts at much higher temperatures i'm nodding i'm nodding you're getting technical now um it's all really interesting but we are gonna have to draw it to a close otherwise this episode will be like three episodes long um but thank you for sharing that story um really interesting and um i don't know just um all very like moving in a way, I guess. Thank you so much for speaking to me today. Um, it's been really, really great to have a chat and learn all about Closet Brewing Project and, and nerd out on a few of our nerd out zones. <laughs> Thanks very much for having me. It was lovely to talk on and be allowed to talk with little restraint on beer and the history of beer. <laughs> yes. No, always here for it. Um, and let's definitely um, keep the conversation about collaboration and um, any listeners or hopefully all listeners um, stay tuned because hopefully we will have another conversation to share at some point down the line. Um, really best of luck with the launch. As I said, we'll put links to everything in the show notes. Um, and yeah, I hope that it goes well. And I, But kind of in a weird way, I hope you don't sell out of everything within two minutes because you kind of want to be able to savour some of the moments, don't you? I agree. I'd love, I'd love to sell out, but I'd also love for everyone who wants the beer to be able to get their hands on it. Mm -hmm. Very mixed feelings. <laughs>
Yeah, yeah. Well, we will just have to wait and see, won't we? Fab. Thanks, Lucy. Thanks, Esther. Thank you for listening to Porridge for Brains with me, Hester Lonigan. What did I want to say? Um, hope you have a great day. Hope you eat some great porridge, if that's your thing. And hear me again soon. Bye. <laughs>